Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Last Ones In Podcast, where being late to the party is not a bad thing. I am your host, Dry Archuleta, and with me today, we have E. Hello. And then again, we have Robbie. Hey. And this week, we are taking a look at Rashomon. Came out in 1950, is that correct, Robbie? Yep. All right. And this week, Robbie is actually going to be presenting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the movie, Robbie. I'm actually really excited to show this movie. Uh, it is Akira Sawa. It was one of his very first films, actually. Uh, he started his career as a director in his 40s. I think he was 41 or 42 when he made this movie. And then it actually went on for a career that went on for like another 40 or 50 years. Like, I think he basically directed movies up until, I think, I want to say his last one was in 1985 or something like that. But he's been a very successful director. He's very well known for bringing Japanese cinema to the Western world, actually. Yeah, and he's quite beloved between... Uh, critics as well. I mm-hmm. think he's one of the best filmmakers that ever existed, which I'm not sure about that opinion. Yeah. But it's definitely a uh, film snob opinion to have for sure. Well, critics say it, and the critics never are wrong. The critics are almost never wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that actually. The critics, like, on an opinion on a movie, are very rarely just wrong. Like, a movie, I've never seen a movie where critics are like, this movie's amazing. And then everybody else is like, oh, what were they fucking smoking? This is garbage. Like, I've never seen that. Yeah. I will say this because this... <laughs> they didn't love that. A lot did, actually. No, I had pretty low ratings still. It's still another like a... one of a for its time it had low ratings, but now it's a beloved movie. Are we talking about the same Ghostbusters? I'm talking about Remake. I am too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, before we get into the movie, I guess, what's a... Uh... Well, I'm not going to ask Robbie what's going on in his life. Because... He's not important. <laughs> no. We re- I never do anything. That's why. <laughs> no, that's not why. It's because we recorded one episode yesterday already. Yeah. And uh, not a lot happens between midnight and four o'clock the next day. So, you know what? I'm going to go to E. We haven't talked to him in a few weeks. Hello. That is true. What's going on with you, E? A lot. Uh, I played Octodad, the deadliest catch. First that's time I ever? That game. Yeah, for the first time. Oh, what'd you think? It's pretty fun. It's real silly. It's a lot shorter than I expected, but also I think it came out in the mid-2000s before people thought that you had to make long video games, so. That one was very much just like an indie project of, like, to kind of, I almost want to say it was like a test for a physics engine, almost. Probably. I mean, that whole studio just has a history of doing weird stuff. With They started with Deadliest Catch. For, like, the mass market, they redid it. They remastered it, basically, and that came out in, like, 2013, 2014 or something. I played the original. Oh, so like you played like the the bad bad one, or not bad? I don't know, maybe but, like, it wasn't. Weird. I don't know. It was part of the itch bundle, which is why I think it might have been the original. Did it look bad? Uh, or did it look kind of glossy and polished? I mean, it looked like it came out when the 3D wasn't as good. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer I give. <laughs> but yeah, I did that. Um, I worked on my game and I redid the title menu. Nice. I saw uh, that uh, on Twitter where you had for kind of like bobbing your head and playing on her phone. Yeah. I like it a lot. I have not seen that yet. I'll have I, to show you after, I guess. It's it's a nice little way to give character to a character that doesn't talk. Yeah. So, yeah, I that was a lot of fun to do. My apartments just had her internet gone for two days, basically. Just not there? Like, so it was weird because for the first day... My Ethernet was completely fine, but I couldn't connect on anything that required wireless. Oh. And then the second day, just nothing for hours. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) 
And anytime that happens, they're like, oh, yeah, we're getting in touch with Oingo Boingo. <laughs> that's the actual name of our... Oh, wait, that's provider. the actual name of them? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's very common for an internet provider, like, like, hey, this isn't working anymore, and like, all right, we're working on it. And they're like, whoops, we accidentally hit the no internet button, haha. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, there was that. Um, I started playing through the remake of the Wonderful 101, or remaster, I should say. Of oh. the wonderful one of one on Switch, uh, the touch it, it really benefited from having touchscreen controls, and it has it on the Switch, but I don't have a stylus. Ah, so like I played it on the Wii U initially. Uh-huh. How do they handle like the transitions? Uh, it just becomes what you used to see on the Wii U gamepad. Okay, okay, which is kind of fair because to be honest, it wasn't like the like basically you just okay. Well, I don't look at the TV anymore. That's kind of true, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, there are a couple of flaws that I'm realizing now replaying it. Like, uh, when every character is very tiny, it's hard to tell when they're attacking. Yep. That's uh, that's been an issue I didn't realize originally. But yeah, I'm having fun with that. Um, I Work's been working. I'm very tired <laughs> <laughs> from it. You came from there straight to here. No, I actually got to go home and change and then oh. went straight here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh... So they offer this thing where you can just kind of leave early without getting paid. Um, I might start taking it. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. And then uh, just kind of getting ready for uh, Art Fight this year, which is, for those unaware, it's where you get a bunch of people's characters and you draw them and other people draw your characters. It's like people take turns drawing each other's OCs? Basically. And you get points for it. The points don't actually matter. No one really cares. <laughs> Who's the judge? No, like, it's just an automated, like, did this have color? Is this, <laughs> does it have a background? I know. Oh. Sounds, like, because some people like sketching. Okay. That's why, like, color, background, shading. You get points based off all of that. Everyone agrees it's arbitrary anyways. It's just for fun. Okay, cool. That sounds like a fun little competition, though. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm not going to have as much time as I did last year, though, because of work. That's the downfall of the getting a job part. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have money to buy things, but, well, one, I don't buy things anyways, but <laughs> even if I did, how would I do stuff with my three days only off? I would love three days off. Same. Would you oh. trade it for 10-hour work days? Yes. 11-hour, actually, technically. Yes. Mm, maybe. I would. Yeah. But I'll, <laughs> I should also say, uh, it's fucking up my sleep schedule and time. Ability. My, I feel my ability to have to know the time was already terrible. Now I'm like, oh god, it's like 8 p.m. and I look, it's like 3 p.m. I'm like, what? Is it uh is it because face blindness, so you can't see the face of the clocky? <laughs> <laughs> Just that stare. It looks good, kill man. <laughs> um. But no, I, I feel your pain on that one. I've been doing night shift now for almost two years, and it's just, I cannot wait to get back to working days. Oh yeah, and I'm looking, I'm getting ready to move out. Good. Yeah. The so place I, where he currently lives sucks. Yeah. So yeah, there's the life and times of E. Awesome. How'd you sleep, Robbie? Yeah. Yeah, me I too. think I woke up at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and then I started making, st- or I started making like my meal prep for work. And then took some notes on the movie, which I actually had a hard time taking notes for this movie because a lot of it had to do with like the visual style of this movie. Right. But took some notes on this movie, 
took a shower, maybe took like a 30 minute nap and then drove over here. Nice. I, I slept. I slept badly also. Uh, <laughs> I played a lot of Last of Us this morning also, so that was good. Anyway, let's uh, get on with Rashomon. Yeah. So, uh, have you seen it, Drea? I've not. No. Have you seen it, E? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just the E. I need that, an answer. The look that E gave him, like, come on now. You know like, the really? answer. Really? 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 I guess uh, since it's tradition to start off with E, <laughs> cool. ask E. What do you think this movie's going to be about? Okay. In my mind, I'm envisioning something like uh, The Seven Samurai, but only two of them. (laughs) (laughs) The two samurai. The two samurai. (laughs) And it's like, takes place in ancient feudal Japan, back when the solution to everything is to hire a samurai. And these two samurais are hired to fight each other. I'm going to guess one's named Rashomon because I have to figure out where that fits in. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it goes through them trying to like outwit each other and also probably political stuff because ancient feudal Japan. That's my guess. Okay. Jaya, what do you think this movie is about? So you have talked about it a little bit. So I have an okay idea. It sort of sounds like it's the aftershock of a murder mystery kind of thing. And there's like a bunch of interviews and it's mostly dialogue driven. But then there's probably also a super, super sweet samurai fight at the very end of it. But that's actually like a samurai fight that happened beforehand, and it's going to reveal all the stuff that happened. And I'm guessing there's something to do with, like, crows. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I will say this is, like, I guess the first little fun fact with it is um, Rashomon actually means it's uh, basically the, uh, was based off of basically a giant gate that they had in uh, leading into the city of Kyoto. In Japan, dang, I should have known that. Rashomon, I was a weeb in high school. Yeah, yeah and Rashomon is act, was actually uh, is based off of the gate, which is uh, basically named the same thing. It just spelled the J, so it just Rashomon was the gate to Kyoto, and so like it takes place there in a sense. Okay, so the title is basically telling us where the movie takes place, more or less. Yeah. Okay. For those who don't know, while Tokyo is the capital nowadays, back then Kyoto was the capital. Right. We. Yeah, that's like the first thing they teach you in Japanese class. I guess we will go to the back of the box then. A riveting psychological thriller that investigates the nature of truth and the meaning of justice. Rashomon is widely considered to be one of the greatest films ever made. Four people give different accounts of a man's murder and the rape of his wife, which director Akio Kurosawa presents with striking imagery and ingenious use of flashbacks. This eloquent masterwork is an international sensation that revolutionized film, film language and introduced Japanese cinema and commending a new star by the name of, I'm going to butcher his name, Toshiro Mif, or Mifun to the our Western world. Toshiro Mifune. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, like that's the back of the box. That and because I got the Criterion collection of it, this has this thick ass booklet for it that actually has like an essay that was written about the or about it. Uh, some excerpts from the autobiography of the director and the actual and the two original short stories that this movie is based off of. That's which, cool. Yeah. Uh, one of the short stories was written in uh, 1915, actually called Rashomon. And then the other one was called Into the Grove. Interesting. And Did you read those? those? Uh, not all the way through. I kind of looked at them a little bit, though. I mostly read the autobiography and the essay about it beforehand so I can get, you know, a, a little bit of fact about this. Yeah. It just says, I made this movie. <laughs> Both of them collectively say that. <laughs> so, this was 1950. So, was this rated? No, as far as I know, it wasn't. Did it have a length? Yes. 
<laughs> this movie is 88 minutes long. Hey, that's like a perfect Eve length movie. Yeah, yeah. real short. It, it, well, that's the thing. And uh, I remember, I guess another fun fact is uh, with the original, because the original short story that was based off of was Into the Grove, because that is literally just uh, different people giving their, or, uh, giving their take on a murder that happened. And uh, but it's only three different takes in in the short story, and he felt that the short story wasn't long enough to be made into a feature film. So they got Rashomon, the other short story, and then he added a fourth take onto it to okay. give him, to give the movie enough length to actually be a movie or a full length movie. Even back then, they were still just remaking properties. God. Since the beginning of entertainment time, yeah, <laughs> that's literally impossible. Nope you you can't remake you can't remake nothing. The first. Train film ever was just recreating what it would look like to stand in front of a train. <laughs> telling you, I mean, it's the beginning of entertainment. Yeah, uh, I know that actually one of the very first silent films was literally an eight-second film of a guy sneezing. Because it was literally just, <laughs> yeah, it literally was because it was just this new technology of like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of moving pictures in sequence. So you can actually watch someone like you're standing right in front of them, but on a screen. Well, like the part that makes me laugh is like, that's the last thing I would think if you don't have sound to record. <laughs> but I think that was kind of like the whole thing that people were amazed by is like they could tell the guy was sneezing even though there was no sound to it because it I was guess. just like the look on someone's face whenever they're sneezing. So if somebody wanted to watch this along with us, Robbie, where would they do that? So there's a couple and it's a little bit new with this. Uh, it's a little bit hard to find this on streaming services. Uh, you can get it on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine if you want to watch it there. It was part of the subscription deal last I saw, but I don't know if it still is with Prime Video. I would say check for yourself to make sure. Right. But also uh, with HBO Max, with their new subscription service, they have a bunch of stuff with Turner Classic Movies. And this is one of the movies that they got. They got most of the movies that were done by Akira Kurosawa, nice. including like Seven Samurai and uh, the Samurai trilogies and stuff like that that he did. Yeah, Seven Samurai, Eight Samurai, Nine Samurai. <laughs> There's that, and I guess if you actually, if you have the Criterion Collection uh, subscription service, then you could watch it through that too. But I know it's a somewhat rare service to have. That's basically a film snobs. So do you have a yeah. drive? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> also, for anybody wondering, this is in Japanese with subtitles. But uh, I guess with all that being said, let's go watch this film. All right. We'll be back in just a little bit, and uh, hopefully you guys come back. And we are back from watching Rashomon. I feel like you guys have opinions about it. Yeah, you could call them opinions. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, Let's start with E. Okay. okay. E, spoiler free, E. What are your thoughts and would you buy a rent, stream, or pass? This is neat. Um, It's a hard one because like, it definitely feels like it's a movie made in the 50s. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. And... If you're not, like, antiquated with that kind of cinematography and just, like, storytelling, I don't know how much you can enjoy this. I think since it's been made, plenty of movies have done this type of story better. But I think it really, in a similar thing to uh, Seven Samurai, you don't watch this specifically for the story itself. You watch it for what it did for movies. And I would I would recommend Seven Samurai over this because I think that's more interesting from a movie perspective. But I think there's some interesting things in this movie. I'd say I'd say it's worth a stream if you're into movies. 
Okay. And uh, I'm the other person who hasn't seen it, so I guess I'll go next. I didn't hate this movie, but uh, I'm not going to say I enjoyed it either. It's more of I have an appreciation for some of the things that it did for its time. Like some of the intro cinematography I thought was really, really good and really cool. And then it clearly had 1950s cinematography when it came to fight (laughs) scenes. Yeah, that's kind of fair. And so, I don't know. Like, I'm just not into a lot of that era of cinema, I guess, just because it feels too safe, even though it's trying to pretend it's not. And it feels like those kind of stories were told better either beforehand or after. It sort of feels like it's forcing itself to take a step back in its content because it's it can't go out there and do what it actually wants to do. It's like, it can't have a brutal fight scene, and it can't have, like, a real rape, and it can't have, like, a real moral struggle. And so you get, like, half of any of that, and none of it feels powerful. At the time, it probably did, but in hindsight, not so much. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like, ultimately, the thing that I ended up liking about it was it felt remarkably corny. I think it was kind of... In a, in a charming way, but I don't know. If, <laughs> for, for, like, film history, I think you should watch it. It's worth a stream, I'll say, but uh, it's not something that's remarkably rewatchable. Like, the acting isn't in it isn't anything special at all. The he, Besides the opening cinematography, none of the shots look particularly beautiful. I think for the time, the way that they did the sound design with it raining all the time and actually being able to hear people was nice. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't. You're just not into the movie. I can't say I'm impressed with it. Which you're not impressed with this half a century year old movie. But like, that's the thing. Like, I know that there's a bunch of like cinema nerds out there that are gonna be like, "How dare you not pay respects to Kurosawa? He changed the film industry forever." And like, I mean, he's made better movies, right? Yeah, this was his very first movie. Yeah, but, like, I feel like people would jump down my throat for the opinion, but I just... I've said way worse opinions on this podcast. <laughs> you should be fine. I, I just... It's not I think with him being a, me. I, I think with him being a film snob, he's worried about other film snobs shaming you him. You don't think I'm a film snob? <laughs> Mr. NNA's Big Picture Show is such a cinematic experience that nothing can even surpass it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's worth a watch, I guess, just to see what it was doing for its time. But I don't feel like it was revolutionary. The only way I could see it being revolutionary if it were literally the first piece of film to have the unreliable narrator as its crux of the story. But I don't think it is. If it was, then awesome. Yeah, for sure. That's huge. That's majorly influential. But that would be the only thing, I guess. This actually was the first movie to tell a story non-linear narrative the way that it did. It was the first movie of its time to do this. But was it the first unreliable narrator? Yeah. Really? Like, you just... You, you can't, can't believe anyone or anything anyone says? Okay, yeah. then it's, It was the it, very first movie to do this. All right, Jariah now likes this movie. I don't like it, <laughs> but I can respect that for doing that, because I think that that is the only truly interesting thing that the movie has going for it, but, like... What? <laughs> just, the acting in it is bad. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like it's not. It's just... Not it is 1950s well. acting, I'll give you that. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would say, I guess stream it if you're able to, but I mean, don't carve out an entire afternoon for it. It's not that long. It's not that long. No, <laughs> no, it's it's an hour and a half. But yeah, what do you think, Robbie? I mean, I like the movie. 
But that's why I was excited to show it to you guys to begin with, because I don't think it's so much, you know, the cinematography of it or even like the acting performances of it. I think it's the message that it tries to throw across with the movie that I liked about it so much. So I think for me, because of kind of just like the unre- uh, unreliable narrative, because I guess another little fun fact about it, like I've told you before, the Rashomon effect is actually said in courtrooms whenever someone gives an un- uh, an unreliable narrative that's meant to make themselves seem better than what they really are. And that's pretty much what they're trying to go for with this movie. And uh, in a weird way, like, I know that you're not impressed by all the things that they do in this movie, but a lot of things they did were a first. Like, they, it was revolutionary for its time. And a lot of the ways that we look at cinema today are because of movies like this. And so, I guess in a film snob sort of way, like, it is revolutionary for what it did during its time. And I think, like I said, just the way, that, like, not even the story itself, but, like, just the way that the narrative imposes itself within the movie like it kind of stuck with me for a while so for me like this was a a, like i wouldn't say it was an easy buy because like i remember hearing about i heard about this movie and i like read the back of it and i did a little bit of research on it and i was still very skeptical on whether or not i actually wanted to buy this movie and but like at the time whenever i bought it like it was before they had it on hbo max so it was either you know pay the five dollars and watch it on or you know watch it on on only amazon or like just go ahead and like buy the movie and so i just kind of took a leap of faith and i bought the movie and i'm kind of happy with it i'd say like for film collectors this is definitely like a buy movie yeah it's it's that it's that type of movie it's there's a reason why his stuff is all on criterion Mm -hmm. but it's just not something that i think holds up in modern cinema in my personal opinion you don't think they could just put this in the theaters today i mean (laughs) assholes like me would go watch it but like <laughs> a normal audience would be like, this is so fucking boring. They'd be like, why is this in black and white? Yeah, they would probably say, why is this in black and white? And why do I have to read it? And <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we know a lot of people like that. Yeah, we do. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, let's go ahead and scoot on over to our spoiler discussion. So again, if you have not seen this movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, um, go check it out on... What was it, HBO and Criterion? Yeah, if you have an HBO Max or a Criterion subscription, you can watch it through that, or you can uh, rent it on Amazon Prime for $3.99. There you go. And if you don't care about spoilers for a 70-year-old movie, um, what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, stick around. Either way, we'd love to have you. And we're back for the spoiler discussion. So, I say we just jump into what I think is the big thing of this movie, or like I, it is the whole movie, the unreliable narrator thing. Yeah, and that's more or less what it is, because like I said, the Rashomon effect is basically just having an unreliable witness yeah. to something happening, and it this movie is basically a flashback talking about other flashbacks, and it's <laughs> in its most basest form. That's what this movie is. It is literally. A woodcutter and a priest, like not knowing what to believe. But see if I can do this in like the little our uh, minute uh, detail. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, the little one minute detail of what the movie is about. It's a woodcutter and a priest sitting are uh, sitting underneath the gate of a city and just waiting for the rain to pass by, trying to figure out like what to make sense of this case that they just heard about. And a commoner who is also trying to get out of the rain that runs up to this gate and. They start to ask him, like, well, what do you think happened with this? And then they tell the story of a woodcutter going out to the wood to, you know, go and gather wood, as he does, and finding a dead body. 
uh, along with some cut rope, a knife, uh, and a hat and a, I think, part of a kimono. And then they start bringing up some of the witnesses. They bring up this bandit who just comes off completely insane and tells his side of the story. And then eventually they say that they end, they found, find the wife that was in the situation who apparently was raped after, uh, before her husband was murdered. And she tells a story that is completely different than the bandit story. And then eventually they actually even get a psychic medium there because they can't rely on either of them. And the psychic medium tells an, are a third story, which is also completely different from the two people's stories. And the woodcutter says that he actually lied to the policeman and that he actually did see what happened. And he gives his side of the story, which is also once again, completely different than the other three stories that you hear. And it kind of just asks this question of who do you think is lying? Who do you think is telling the truth? Are all of them lying? Is there a little bit of a truth uh, are with everything that they're saying in all of this? And it kind of goes along with the egotism of a per of a human being and saying like, you know, whether they're willing to tell the truth, if it means that they're going to look bad or look at, or people look at them in a bad light if they say that truth and what would they rather like tell a comfortable lie compared to an ugly truth and whether people are actually believable or not in this world or whether they can actually be good in certain situations. Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple things that I want to circle back around to here. Okay. From what you were saying there. I don't think any of them are trying to come out as being a good person at the end of it because they're all basically telling a story where they're sort of the villain. Kind of, but it makes them look better than, say, the woodcutter story at the very end. Like, they all look ridiculous by the woodcutter's tale compared to, like, what happened. But also, you know, it kind of shows, you know, the bandit telling his side of the story. He, you know, he raped the woman and then he killed the man, but she wanted to stay with him afterwards because he was so great at what he did. And then the samurai was such a good warrior because he crossed swords with the bandit better, more than anyone else. But the bandit was victorious because he's the best swordsman out of all of them and... Even whenever that guy who said that he caught the bandit saying that he found him with arrows in his back, he's just like, oh, you caught me taking a ship or shit in the bushes. Don't don't lie, because he's just trying to make himself seem bigger and badder than what he really is. And the woman, she's trying to make herself seem good of saying that she was just so heartbroken and struck struck by what happened that she didn't know what she was doing. It was like a almost a sense of insanity. And then even through death with the samurai, it was him just saying that. He couldn't take uh, the grief of everything that was happening around him, so he killed himself. And the woodcutter just saying that all of them are lying, and like this is what he thinks really happened. Okay, so here's the thing, though. The bandit clearly is just saying the most awful things possible because he wants to come off as a super badass. Yeah, and so it makes him, but the, in his eyes, it makes himself seem better than what he really is. Right, but the wife, there's nothing redeemable about her story What from how she portrays it. There's literally not like a positive side to what she's saying. Like, she came, she came off, she got raped, she wanted her husband to kill her, and he wouldn't, so she, it implies, killed him. Yeah. There's she no, so, there's no so good part about her well, story. Well, it's because she was just so grief-stricken about what happened, because uh, I think it was in the whole idea of, in feudal Japan, if, like, you know, a woman is, even if she's raped by another man, then it takes away her... Purity? Kind, yeah, it kind of just, like, takes away her purity if she's lined with more than one man. And so the fact that she's raped and then she's so grief stricken of a husband who doesn't want her anymore and she doesn't know what she's going to do. But it's also like that's the best way that she like when you but look at how the would other she come out better off by saying like this I mean, happened. But also I murdered him. She probably. might not go to jail. Yeah, she might not go to jail over it compared to if she just I don't coaxed... believe that. Well, OK, think of it this way. In the U.S., we have a thing 
where if you like caught someone sleeping with your wife and shot them, you wouldn't go to jail because you are deemed not f- cooled off, essentially. No, no, you would still go to jail just for less time. Okay, well then she gets less time. Yeah, she gets less t- time because it's not a crime. It's not. It's a crime it, of passion. Yeah, it's a crime of yeah. passion compared to the fact that she coke like compared to like the woodcutter story where she coaxed both of them to kill each other. Which that's pretty much what she does in the other uh, in the other sides of that story is she basically tells him like I can't be known as someone who's lain with more than or with two men so either you die or he dies as was told in the bandit story or the fact that she just runs away in the uh, samurai story and he kills himself out of grief or in the woodman's cutter story where she basically coaxes them to fight for her honor. Okay, let's in the bandit story she still says to kill the. Or yeah. in the um, samurai story, she still says to kill the samurai. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> so but the thing is... is in that, all of those stories... Like, literally, she, literally in every story, she is the bad person. Yeah. She is the villain of the entire thing, no matter she's, whose version yeah, of the, the story it is. The thing is, she's less of a villain because she's so grief-struck in her own story. So in her way, because she's thinking she can cry her way out of the story in the way that she tells it. Maybe that's something that I just don't like about the movie. Is it immediately just goes off on the 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 the... The point of the woman is a villain. Every version of the story, she is a villain and she's irredeemable. Maybe. I don't like that. <laughs> Are you saying it's impossible for women to be irredeemable then? No, I'm that saying. That's the only possible explanation. I'm saying, how is it even in her own story she's irredeemable? Some people are very messed up in the head, you might yeah. find. But then it completely gets rid of the point of what you were saying of like everybody's trying to make the best version of the story okay yeah and that's her best version of the story in the bandit story he still rapes her yeah yeah he still rapes her because to him being the most badass motherfucker is like the thing yeah Yeah. to her being so grief-struck in that she passes out murdering a guy is uh, excusable that's just how she sees the world people see the world in weird ways I just don't see it, man. That's fine. I mean, you never heard of somebody trying to say, like, uh, this man can't be guilty, he's too insane? I, I don't think that counts towards my argument. <laughs> We're just going to keep making up new words and see if you'll... <laughs> I just, well, I think like, it's I get bad what you're trying to get. <laughs> well, what, I think some of it might have to do with the time period as well, honestly. Yeah. Right, but, like, with the whole movie, the entire point is that there are a... there. So, here's another problem I had with what you were saying earlier is that everybody's story is completely different, but they're not. Really there are not, a few no. key points in all of them that you have to know yeah. as a fact because they happen in each one of the stories. So, like, yeah, the only I th- just hate the fact that there are some facts that are just fact, and the one fact in this whole thing is that everybody agrees that women are horrible. That's the time period. That is I just the don't period. like it, though. Like- no, I don't say you have to like it. I'm saying that's kind of just the time period. Yeah, it's just not good. So your main concern about this movie, then, is the way that they treat women. That's not my main concern. (laughs) Step back up to bat, mister. You got one strike. Where are you going next? I'm not going to say, like, I'm, like, trying to, like, be this powerhouse of, like, women's rights or anything. I'm just saying, like, it's super shitty of the movie to just have that message. Because no matter what, in every one of the story, the message is women are evil. I don't think I'd say that's the message. No, I wouldn't say that's the message. That's the one consistent message in all of them. I wouldn't say it's the message. But that's the one consistency in all of them. If being a consistency doesn't mean it's the message, it just means that's what happened. I I just don't (laughs) like it. I don't know what to tell you. The only consistencies that are really between all the stories is the fact that a man was murdered and a woman was raped. Like, that was the two main consistencies of this movie. And that all of them agree that she's evil. They don't agree she's evil. No, they evil. don't all agree that she's evil. 
Like the bandit doesn't see her as evil. The bandit sees her as ferocious. And then she sees herself as grief stricken. And but that's the, the thing. Man, Through the bandit's it, point of view, evil is good. Kind of. So he, but so was, he sees her as ferocious because she's being evil. Okay, let's see. This, does it's the bandit even, think what he's doing is evil evil? No, he, he thinks just, what he's doing is badass. Yeah. yeah. So he thinks she's a badass. Yes. Yeah. But in everybody else's point of view, what he sees as badass is evil. So she still <laughs> remains evil. <laughs> but he doesn't see her as evil is the point. But that's what I'm saying. Like, through the one, the one consistent line here is that she is evil. And that, like, women are horrible people, basically. I think you're stretching it a bit more than it's supposed to be. I don't in the think movie. I am. I think you are. There is one woman in this movie. There is. There's, like, six characters in total. Yeah, so I think, you, I think you're just, like, a little bit... I don't disagree with you that you can easily misconstrued it as that. But I, I think you're stretching it a little bit I don't farther. think it's misconstrued. I think this thing. is Play-Doh, and it's about to snap where you're I, at. I don't think it's misconstrued, though, is the thing. Yeah. Anyway. Also, so here's another thing. Uh, I'm just going to breathe this out because I just have so many, like, weird things about... Uh, at the end of the movie, they find a baby. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just weird that that's how they decided to end the movie. So here's my thoughts on why there is suddenly a baby there. Because in most people's minds, babies and children are considered to be pure innocence and pure and right. just good. And the whole thing of the movie is like, who is good? Who is evil? What is right? What is wrong? And that's what I was getting at earlier of like why I don't like the ending of the movie because it starts to feel like they're at the pearly gates essentially and that they're arguing about what is good and evil and who should be allowed into heaven is what it started to feel like. This is a I don't Japanese know they, movie. Yeah, I don't know. I if, know, but like <laughs> I don't know if that's what they were going for at the end of it. That's just how I felt at the end and I don't know. I think that might have had to do with the movie we watched yesterday too. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Because I don't think that was meant to be like who should be allowed into heaven or something like that. It's just I felt like that was more of them saying that even in times wherever nobody has virtue, because that was kind of the whole idea of it is that like you were saying, like the way that you're saying it is that no matter what she's are, the woman's always bad. But the thing is, is all like all three of them, if anything, all four of them were bad in a way like are it was trying to say, like, it is possible for people to still have virtue, even in a world where it seems like nobody has virtue. And that was him trying to be virtuous in his in a way was by even though he has six other children to take care of he's still going to take on the seventh child because it's the right thing to do but then it goes into do you actually believe he has six children because he's been walking away he has an evil grin does he it looked like he had an evil grin when he was walking away i I don't know if i think he had an evil grin i think he did i i guess that's your opinion we could look at that later but um i mean like there is a thing of like how much do you trust this man, because one, the crux of how you shouldn't trust him is that he left out the fact that he took the knife that the girl dropped. He didn't straight up lie about it. He just left that fact out because he took it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really see him as like, oh, no, if you can't trust him anymore. Right. But like, that's the thing. Like, that's from what Robbie was saying. That's the point of the movie. Like, what I can get... you possibly trust? Right. But like, I don't, it's like the same thing. Like. Do you just not have to, like, the priest, he literally doesn't do anything in the movie that really warrants distrust for him, I would argue. Mm-hmm. So, like, should you distrust him? Like, it's a thing of, like, you can pick your battles, but, like, I think the end of the movie is trying to make a point, like, of sometimes trust can be good. 
a hot take, I know. But yeah. well, I mean, I think we're supposed to be in the shoes of the priest, basically, because he right. is a complete bystander of the whole thing. He wasn't there for any of it. He's basically just a neutral witness in all accounts. He was kind of a neutral witness. Uh, the reason why he was, if you remember at the beginning of the movies, because he saw them go into the forest to begin with. So he was the witness of seeing them beforehand, before all this happened. Right. So he, so can he just knows about... they exist. Yeah, that's the thing. He just <laughs> yeah, knows no. that there were people there. Like, that's the thing. He just knows that they went in alone. Right. That's all he knows. He also I... has some guilt, it seemed like. Like, he feels like he could have stopped it somehow. I don't think it's that he feels guilt. I think it's that he he's hitting a point in his life where he feels like he can't trust anyone anymore. And that feels like a weird sense of hell that you can't put you can't put honor, virtue or trust into any of these people anymore. And he feels like he's like kind of losing his faith in people in general. So he's just a person who's losing his faith in humanity. I guess I didn't get that from him. Speaking of losing faith in humanity, the commoner who is probably my favorite character, either him or the bandit. Because they're both just done with everyone's shit, and yeah. it's kind of great. Yeah, I feel like this could go along with, like, evil and good at the end of it, uh-huh. because ultimately, there's the two people at the end of it, and I guess there's, I don't know. Two and a half men. <laughs> Maybe this is me just trying to stuff it into another, like, devil angel on shoulder thing. That's what the, the trio at the gate felt like to me. I think a lot of it... For, like, why I don't see it is because I'm separating it to it is a Japanese movie and is more ideological to the Japanese folklore and mythology and just religions in general. Right. Where it's more, like, Buddhism and stuff where there's less of, like, the pearly gates and stuff. So I don't personally see that. Right. Because, like, uh, another thing that happens in the movie is, like, the the woman is sitting in a... A creek, I guess. I don't really... And, like... Like, near the pond? I pointed out that, like, the light does make, like, a cross shape. Yeah. And it's... Was that intentional? Or was that just happenstance? Because, of course, crosses often show, like, purity and stuff. But, again, like, the Japanese aren't as big into, like, Christianic and uh, Catholicism, Jewism, all that, like... Right, but, like, so... So the thing that I guess I'm using as, like, I feel like this was all purposeful is because Kurosawa... Robbie mentioned earlier, he was the man known for bringing these kind of movies over to a Western audience. So was his was his plan to like try and pander to a Western audience? I don't think it was. I think I, it just, I think it was just a movie that like it was the movie that they're like, oh, yeah, I think Western audiences might like this movie. Like it's not it, it, it's uh, uh, that's what I'm looking for. There's just a lot of coincidences that I think you're just like. Pushing the movie we watched yesterday into this movie. I'm not. I'm really not, though. I feel like you are. So, like, the gate thing in Japanese, that's often, like, gates are, like, a segue to the, uh, like, to the spiritual world and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not like the pearly gates, like, in America. So, I think it's just because a a lot of, yeah, like, a lot of mythology (laughs) does fit. And I think that might be some of it. And, again, I'm not saying you're wrong. There, There is a possibility that he did see a lot of, like, Western influence on it. I just don't know if I personally think he did. I think the reason why he used the gate Rashomon is because it was like a gate that was uh, going into the capital city uh, for feudal Japan back whenever Kyoto was the capital. And it was one that wasn't taken care of, which is why the gate is in ruins in there, too. And which is why he also even says, like, there's probably like five or six different bodies that are inside of this gate right are right now that are unaccounted for because people would actually just dump bodies into uh, ruins like that back in those days. And so I think it's just 
one of those because they're just trying to escape the rain. Like, I don't think it's meant to be more of a metaphor other than it's a place for them to escape the rain. And it was just a, a gate that was in ruins, kind of like how their look at are their outlook on humanity is kind of in ruins at the moment. I don't know. I feel like if we're going off of the entire movie is supposed to be metaphorical for something. I don't think you can disengage with another metaphor. And I'm not mixing it up with yesterday's thing because that just happened to be. That well, there yeah, is Christianity. That's, that's what I'm saying, though. Like all the research I've done with this movie, they do not rem- or they do not mention religion once, like at all. That's what I'm getting from it, man. I'm telling that, you, I'm not getting that at all. That's just. But I guess that's another thing. There's actually are some crazy guys say that you can have a, a room of 50 people watch this movie, and all 50 people have a very different view of what this movie is supposed to be. That's supposed to be like that's why critics love Kurosawa so much. Like he was revolutionary, and the way that he made films was re- revolutionary. There's a reason why he's a nerds, a movie nerds, fucking wet dream fantasy movie film thing. Like, I don't know. I think there are too many coincidences. I don't know, man. I'm not seeing it. But once again, I think what I got from this movie, what you got from this movie are two different things, too. They are. They're very different because I disagree with you entirely. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that is one fun fact. I was going to leave it towards closer towards the end for this, but I was going to say that. In his autobiography, uh, I guess three assistant directors actually came up to him after reading the script and said that they didn't understand what this movie was supposed to be about. And he told them to read it and to like really think about it while they're reading it. And they came back and they said that they still didn't understand it. So he decided he was going to give them an explanation saying that human beings are unable to be honest with themselves about themselves. They cannot talk about themselves without, without establishing. The script portrays such human beings, the kind that cannot survive without lies to make themselves feel like they are better people than what they really are. It even shows their sinful need for flattering falsehoods going beyond the grave. Even the character who dies cannot give up his our lies, spoken through a medium. Egotism is a sin that human beings carry with them from birth. It is the most difficult to redeem. This film is like a strange picture scroll that unrolls and displayed by the ego. You say that you can't understand the script at all, but it's because the human heart itself is impossible to understand. If you focus on the impossibility to truly understand the human psychology and read the script one more time, I think you might be able to grasp its point. That sounds like a man that's way fucking into his own what people have said about him. I mean, if this is still the same script he gave them, I do think I might say they're not reading too hard into it. Because I think, like, not like it's not like a perfect everyone will understand it the same, but like... Like he said, like, it's the ideas of people fan... What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, but, like, a director being like, three different people came to me and said they didn't get it, so I had to explain it to them. Like, I get that somewhat, like... I mean, to be fair, one of those people actually quit because he still didn't understand even after he told them that. Then the man is an idiot, because he quit a job because he didn't understand a script when he could have just worked. I mean, also... (laughs) I mean, in another sense of that, too, Sean Connery was uh, the original pick to play Gan- uh, Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he would have actually made 10% of what the movie made if he would have played Gandalf, but he didn't understand the script, so he uh, turned it down and they gave it to Eve McKellen instead. It's just an old man who doesn't understand fantasy. Yeah. And because of that, he didn't make any money off of it. He could have made a lot of money. But on the other side of it, if yeah. Sean Connery played Gandalf, yeah, to be fair, that sucked ass. Yeah. I was going to say, Ian McKellen <laughs> was way better pick than Sean Connery was. Yeah, Sean Connery isn't exactly known for his incredible acting skills. But nevertheless, like I said, it, he wouldn't be the first, you know, I'm guessing they weren't the first or the last ones to say, like, I can't get behind this project because I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe, I guess I'm just reading too much into it. Maybe. And it's just all very surface Our, level, but maybe that's what I don't want it to be is just surface level because it seems really lame. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it just seems so fucking rudimentary. I, that's 
Maybe that's why I'm reading into it. It's a it's like, a fifties movie. Sometimes it's kind of more on the nose than you might want to think. I yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my if, if like that's the entire point of it is that people lie. Like fucking yeah. Thanks. Didn't realize that. It's the fifties. Maybe people don't realize. I know. That. Like that's another. That's why I don't like this movie. It just <laughs> so, feels so innocent. You're not from the fifties. It feels so innocent and like it's trying to make it something that it's not. So you want it? You want deeper layers? Is what you're saying from this movie? If this movie with the same concept were made today, it would be a better movie because they would be able to say exactly what they want to say. I don't know. I feel like they could easily fuck this movie up. Yeah. I mean, you could fuck it up, but like, I feel like they were self-censoring so much because of the era that it was in. Like, they can't go out and just like be like, okay, there's this awful human being and they can't show like the actual extremes of what everything is supposed to be. Everything just feels so fucking edgeless. And I Do you think that like, would improve the movie, like so, actually yeah, showing you th- that? You think him holding a woman down and raping her? I'm not her saying would... the rape. No, I'm, I'm using the or, rape as an example. No, or I'm... him throwing the sword to the man and then blood flying out would make it better. I or... think the throwing the sword thing is lame as fuck. I really do hate the throwing the sword thing. It's fucking lame. I mean, he's a fucking samurai. He's supposed to be good at it, and he's clearly not good. No, at that's it. he's a, a bandit. bandit. They're both having swords. You know what <laughs> I fucking mean. <laughs> I do think the throwing the sword thing is lame, and I think the fight scenes, even the one that's supposed to be cool, looks like fucking trash. <laughs> And that's an that's its era. Nobody had good choreography at the time because they weren't allowed to show actual violence. So they had to skate around the entire fucking thing. And I think that's to its detriment. I just I don't think it would change the movie really that much. I do. I agree with E. I think it would. Honest I bet I think it's cause like I'm such like an animation buff and you have to do that in animation so much. And that's why and you know my opinion on most animation. Yeah. <laughs> like I hate if they like it. It just feels like they're pulling themselves back and they can't do what they actually want. And that's really lame. I don't I mean, like they, it. They've had to do that with a lot of mediums for a very long time, too. Yeah, and it's lame in those cases, too. I'm not saying it's yeah. just this movie in the entire scope of cinema that's lame. It's any so, movie that has to pull itself back and fucking censor itself before it even gets to an audience. It sucks. You can tell that it's doing it. So anything before the late 60s you're going to find lame because they have to hold it back then? No, I think that there's a lot of stuff in like Twilight Zone that does a much better job at a lot of these ideas because it doesn't try to be something it's not in the first place. I don't think it's just trying to be something that it's not, though. It is on the nose trying. Like I said, it's people giving falsehoods are in their witness testimonies. Like, that's what it is, is people just lying to make themselves or someone else seem better than what they really are. It's on the nose. It's that's what it's trying to say. Yeah, but like. Just think it can be done better. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, that's your opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's also that thing too. Like I was gonna say, like another thing about this film, since it was actually the first to do stuff like this too, which is why it was revolutionary and groundbreaking for its time. It was actually uh, widely considered to be the uh, film that brought Japanese film to the Western world, and it is actually, and even Kurosawa would actually disagree with this but he, this is one of the very first films to bring the idea of a uh, best foreign film to the oscars and it actually did win the oscar for the year that it came out cool what else was in the oscars that year i don't know it was the 50s <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it just it ultimately comes down to i feel like this has no edge and so the story that it's trying to portray feels edgeless it feels like it's so on the nose and bland and <laughs> it could have been a 10 minute short uh, I, get- I mean, this is based off of two short stories, but the thing is, is he wanted are uh, the director wanted to make a full length movie based off of this idea. And so he had to take two short stories and then add a little bit to those two, two stories to make this what it was. Cause the original, uh, Rashomon story is, uh, a story of two men, like trying to escape the rain above the gates of Rashomon. 
and then uh, Into the Grove is actually witness account testimonies of all saying different things to make themselves seem more flattering of a of a murder that happened in the woods. And it's kind of in the title of the second story, In the Grove. The actual truth truth is just still kind of lying in the grove because no one can really tell what really happened because nobody's actually given a true story of what actually happened. But I don't think anybody actually knows the true story. That's the problem. I mean, they probably do, but they just don't want to tell it because they want to tell the sto- side of the story that makes them seem better. Here's another rate of... Th- I for- I always forget until I watch like a movie from this time. They really like to hold on a shot. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They don't like cutting at all. <laughs> so they'll like hold on and then it's like... It's like it's like if you took a Mexican standoff and cl- <laughs> and repeated it three times sometimes. Yeah, like they, they really <laughs> don't like cutting. And so it'll just follow actors doing... Lame shit. And it's, like that's the entire era of cinema. That kind of time. It's kind of hilarious to be. That is I fair. Like I it. was gonna say this was a uh, apparently the setup that they used. Wherever they had the camera on a dolly and had it like kind of following them in the forest. Uh, the way that they did a couple of those shots, apparently they were the first ones to do that because it was just a straight dolly that they used. And so, like a good example, whenever like the woodsman is walking through the forest at the beginning of the film, he's actually walking in an S pattern while the camera follows him, but it makes it look like he's walking somewhat straight because of the way that it, the camera's following him. This was also one of the very first films, or actually the first film, to actually uh, do that canopy shot where it's showing the sunlight and showing the sun flare through the trees. Before that time, there was this very common belief that if you did that, you were going to burn the film. <laughs> I mean, I could see why they would think that. Yeah, but they thought that, but this apparently this film was like the first first one to do that, and it actually caused people to actually use the sun itself to flare up scenes or like um another thing that it did is apparently it was one of the very first films to actually use a mirror to uh get the right lighting of it because like yeah because before then they did have like you know those uh those foil screens to try to like add more light to certain scenes but apparently it wasn't enough for certain things like a good example was that scene where um the only named character in the entire movie uh tajimoro or the bandit as we've been calling him uh, wherever he's like laying down underneath a tree and you can like see the, uh, the shadow of the leaves on him. They literally just had a mirror reflecting the sun on top of him. And then they put a couple leaves in front of that mirror to kind of give that effect. <laughs> they were apparently the first to do stuff like that too. Like a lot of film, like that's, I was saying that it was hard to actually find fun facts about this movie because a lot of it had to do with them saying about how revolutionary the cinematography was for its time. That's the one thing I've said that was good about this movie. That does remind me. So when we were watching, uh, at a point, the the commoner brings out. I thought it was an apple. Dry thinks it's an onion. Uh, it looks like an onion. Oh yeah, yeah. You had I a think fun it might have been. That. Yeah, it might have been an onion because apparently, uh, I gotta look it up again. They apparently invented their own dish for this movie, which was like strips of beef that were sautéed in oil, and then they had, I think it was curry oil or yeah, curry powder mixed with melted butter. And then they would like kind of dip the beef strips in it. And I guess in, uh, they said they would have chopsticks in one hand and they would have an onion in the other hand. And they would just like put strips of beef on the onion and take a bite out of the onion. Huh. Why is the onion part? That does sound kind of good, though. I mean, I like that. Like if you just cut the onions and throw it in, I'd be down for yeah, it. I, mean, I just don't want to be like biting an onion. Yeah. yeah. But that sounds kind of good. Yeah. I was going to say like apparently even the director said that it was like super barbaric of them to eat like that. But <laughs> That's what they were doing for the movie, I guess. And so, like, that's why whenever he said, like, is he eating an onion? I was like, honestly, he might be. Like, he did bring, like, in the early scene, he has, like, this sack of, I th- I assumed it was apples. Maybe it was onions. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, the uh, uh, 
one of the only other fun facts is there was a little bit of a difference because like on a website that I checked, they said that slugs were a real problem in that forest. And so I guess a lot of uh, a lot of people behind the cameras had to like start uh, dipping all their clothes in salt to keep the slugs off of them. Oh, according to this little pamphlet right here uh, for the auto or for the autobiography from the director, uh, apparently it wasn't slugs. It was leeches they had problems with. That's oh, way worse. Yeah. And but apparently it's the same thing. They actually had to like uh, they had to dip their socks and their scarves and like shirts and stuff like that in salt. So that way it would keep uh, leeches away because leeches react the same way to salt that slugs do. Oh, yeah. Huh. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know the bandit wasn't scratching because it's his character. He just had a bunch of leech bites. That would be funny, that, actually. That is possible. <laughs> but if you also notice, he only slaps himself like that and, like, is scratching himself all over the place in his story. It's not in any of the, any of the other stories. Yeah. Because being grungy is badass. Dude, yeah. Ask the 90s. And apparently 50s Japan. Apparently. <laughs> all, all cycles go in circle. That's how the cycles work. Like, they just goes from one continent and it until... <laughs> I could actually buy that. I can see that actually, yeah. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot about that too. Um the rain scene apparently was very hard to film in black and white because, okay. you know, uh the the sky just shows up as white on the film. And so when you have heavy rain in there, the rain doesn't really show up. And so in order to actually make this the rain showable for that scene is one of the reasons why it's raining so goddamn heavy at the beginning of the movie. But apparently they also put black ink inside of the rain. To uh, oh. that way you can actually see it are in contrast to the white sky in the background. What do you mean inside of the rain? I like, assume they like bumped it out with like a hose. Yeah, they had fire oh. hoses on set to like make it artificially rain. I thought you meant and... it was raining and they like just got ink into the clouds somehow. I was like, what? What do you mean? We can't... Why don't we do this more if we could do that? <laughs> well, also that's probably bad for the environment if yeah. we could. But... Yeah. It was probably bad for the environment to put black ink in those water tanks to and shoot them up up in the sky the way that they did. Oh, probably. That's cool, though. I always love, like, learning how you had to get around weird stuff back then. Yeah, like the limitations, and they had, like, just found interesting things. Yeah, and yeah. that's what a lot of this movie was, is them finding interesting ways to get around certain, or certain, what's the word I'm looking shortcomings? for? Shortcomings? Yeah, shortcomings for the film, like, not being able to see the rain in black and white film, so they put black ink in the or in the water tanks to make it to where it shows more, and uh, using mirrors to reflect light, so that way, even in dark areas, you can see the people that are around them. And, like, a large majority of that film was actually filmed in an actual forest, which is why they were also having problems with leeches while they were there. And, like, honestly, if more of the cinematography was, like, in that opening scene, that would have been amazing. Because, like, even though it is just simple dolly shots, the way that, the, the I don't know, it's the small things of it, like, the speed that it's going at, the walking, the music it's playing at the time... Yeah. And honestly, I really like the shots where it goes from one side of the character to the other. Those just look really cool and badass. Yeah. And, and like then it gets to the stories and it's fucking 50 cinematography that could have been like any Jane Doe shot it. I think that's something this director does get better as his yeah. movies go. Like, I think Seven Samurai shot pretty well, all things considered. See, that would be more interesting then. I would. I mean, Seven Samurai is a very more interesting <laughs> work i would say it's been a it's been almost three years since i've seen it i'd probably have to see it again but i remember quite like being surprised at how well i thought it was considering i mean everybody literally like any movie nerd that i talked to was like kurosawa was the best you have to watch all of his movies and i just never have because you're a fake nerd (laughs) because i just didn't want to have the thing of like yeah okay i'll watch it they were right (laughs) or like end up on this spectrum of like i'm a fucking asshole (laughs) 
So you're saying you didn't want to watch it because you were worried about having an opinion on yes. it? Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm just saying. Just be like me and just fucking own all your opinions. No one is allowed to have a different opinion. Fucking every rom-com is the worst ever. <laughs> Animation is the best thing since sliced bread, possibly before it. Well, I mean, you know, they did carve things on walls. Yeah. So enough of me complaining about this. We haven't really heard much from E here. What? I've been talking this whole time. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I'm gonna. So I think I could say I think I'm in the middle between you two. Like, I don't think this is like super. I don't think this is like an outstanding movie. I I would say I like it, but I definitely don't know if I like it as much as it seems Robbie likes it. So, like, I think I am in, like, the middle here somewhere. It's not, like, it's definitely not my favorite film I've seen of the two of his films I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) But I I can respect a lot of the things it does, and I don't think it's, like, particularly boring, which is probably... I used to go back and forth if I thought something being frustrating was worse than something being boring. I think at this point in my life, I think something being boring is much worse than being frustrating. I agree. And I think this has enough, like, nuances to keep you interested for a while, even if it's not... And again, it's not even that long, so you're not, like, investing three hours into this movie. If it were three hours, I would I would literally call this movie dog shit. <laughs> Just because... <laughs> that would it, be fair. It wouldn't need... It doesn't even need to be 80 yeah. minutes. It could be 40 minutes and get the same point across. Like, and I think, again, like I said earlier, I think I give it a lot more passes than you might because it does have some of the qualities that happen in a lot of, like, children's animation that I'm okay with, where, like, there are times where it meanders, there are times where it's not particularly too in-depth with what it wants to talk about, but I think it has a lot of charm to it. I think that's something you kind of see in it somewhat, if I... I mean, I think it's humorous, but, like, in a way that I don't like. <laughs> that's that's my, that's how we're different. Like you, like are charmed by it, and you're like, "This is really dumb and silly." I like that, yeah. and, I, and I look at it as like, "This is supposed to be a tense thing. Why is it so dumb and silly?" <laughs> so like, I don't, like I guess like I don't know if we went too in specific, but uh, so it's when the uh, wood woodcutter, yeah, yeah, um, when he tells his story of what happened, uh, it's revealed that according to him. Both the bandit and the samurai are actually not good. Yeah, they both suck ass. <laughs> and I love this scene because you watch these two people just flailing around and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And, like, it would have been fine if it were shorter because I got the point pretty early on that they suck at what they're doing. But, like, even the parts where, like, the bandit is telling his side of the story and he, they're supposed to be, like, badass and he, like, overcame the cool samurai. Like, even then I thought it didn't look good. Well, I don't know if... I don't know if I believe it's supposed to look that good there, because I again, it's him telling the story and he doesn't know how to fight. So it's because in his story he's still going wow, and he's doing these dumb moves. It's something I like in his story and in the woodcutter story. They both end the same way, where he weirdly grabs his sword and then just kind of tosses it. it. Yeah, yeah. throws it. It's really I don't because in his mind that was a cool way to end it and honorable according to him. <laughs> Even though I think that's way way worse of a way to die. You don't get the benefit of being stabbed. You get someone stupidly chucking their sword towards you. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I feel like in the bandits, I was at least supposed to assume that it was like a cool badass fight. And, and I mean, in his mind, it probably was. 
Right, but like I think through the film's eyes, like we're supposed to buy into it being a cool badass fight. I don't but know. like I think because of the time, like choreography at the time sucked ass. Like fight choreography was just bad. I would disagree with you on that. I I don't I I don't think there's really much debate for that. That fight choreography sucked then? Yeah. It was bad. Yeah, I know. I'm saying I don't think there's really much debate about that. Oh, you're yeah. agreeing with yes. me. Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm actually <laughs> agreeing with you on that, too. That fight choreography was bad during that time, too. If you've seen anything that was filmed around that time. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, an, it's a product of its time. Yeah. But I don't, I can still, I can see it's a product of its time and still not like it. No, I'm not saying you have to like it. I, again, I think it kind of knows it's not that great. And it's definitely during the second one, it's playing towards that. Yeah, it's definitely I playing think, towards it in the I second I think the part. first one, it is kind of being... Because, like, basically what he does is he does his silly, dumb moves that a 10-year-old would think's cool. Right. And all the samurai does is parry him. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why I think it's just him, like, yes, this is cool, even if it's stupid. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, again, like... I'm really. I have this childlike wonder to me. I never lost that. Not to imply that you don't have any childlike wondering, but I mean, like, compared to the average person, I think I'm like way more willing to like buy into dumb childish things. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> like, I, I never, I never grew up, so I could still see this stuff and like, haha, it's like a ten year old's trying to do a sword fight. Like, <laughs> and then I in my mind, it, I'm like, man, adults made this, and it's like a 10-year-old trying to do a sword fight. So, like, it's different perspectives. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, people say that Dry has an old soul, so. <laughs> it's just, like, I, it's, it's one of those things where I am 100% okay with something just being fun. And I don't know if this movie was entirely trying to be fun. Like, it clearly wanted to be a, like, more serious story. Yeah. But, I'm I can be swept by like the fun of it. And I'm I'm saying this, I think you'll be surprised with my rating. <laughs> but I think it like it's just a lot of the funness to it. Like I was more entertained by this movie than bored. Like another movie that like came out around this I I want to say that around the same time, but I'm probably way off, but like I'm thinking like this movie often like I was worried it would be more like Reefer Madness where I couldn't like even look at it seriously. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I just, I just don't like Reefer Madness. I don't think there's much, I can't even like ironically enjoy it much. I think it's a lot of, it's just bad. I mean, it's a bad movie. Yeah. yeah. If, but, we, like, if we're to compare can, this and Reefer Madness, Reefer Madness is a million times worse. Yeah. But like you, you had a lot of ironic enjoyment of Reefer Madness, whereas I did not yeah, if I had to watch them both, I would also still prefer to watch Reef Madness. Yeah, that's why, I, like, this is, <laughs> like, this happens a lot on this podcast, I know, is where we do have like, these inverses yeah. with very similar <laughs> thematic, like, tellings, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, like, I don't, I don't know exactly what I would say my feelings on this movie is, but I think I could at least say I enjoyed it. I mean, that's fair. Like, yeah. if I were to have seen this when I was a kid and before I had watched a bunch of movies... As an adult, I would probably have a much higher appreciation of it. But like, it's like how I, I watched Star Wars as a kid. I like Star Wars still. Like, it's a product of its time, but because I have a childlike wonder still, I guess, whenever it's brought up, like, I'm, I, I'm more forgiving of it. But, like, this is supposed to be, in my mind, an adult, a film for adults. And as an adult, if I were this age back then, I mean, obviously I was living in a different 
world and I would be a completely different human being. <laughs> but let's pretend I'm not. Let's pretend, let's pretend you teleported that's not the case. back there. Yes. Like, I think this movie is just silly. Like, it doesn't hold up to modern cinema standards in most any regards. The cinematography in the beginning, I still think, is astounding. And if that shot was done today, it would, it would still look astounding. But there's so much just of its era cinematography that's bad. Because I think most things in that time were shot pretty poorly because of the limitations that they had to deal with. And that's fine if you're willing to go into it and say, this is what it is, yada, yada. But like, if it's supposed to be a masterpiece, then I expect it to be a masterpiece no matter what. And I just don't feel like it is. It's, a, it's expectations, I guess, is what a lot of it is. Like, what you said, like, you go into it thinking it's adult film. I don't have that, like, switch in my head. So I right. think that's what lets me watch a lot of things I do that you wouldn't enjoy. Probably, probably. Because, like, I can, I, a thing I still do, I'll be like, I'll look at what children, what, like, shows are going to come out on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. And I'm like, that looks kind of neat. And I'll watch a show aimed at 12-year-old boys and enjoy myself. Yeah. And I, I can't do that. No. I admittedly can't do that. But uh, um, we grew up in different times. We grew up in different environments. And true. that has a lot of, to do with it, I think. I say, well, you guys grew up in more similar environments, but even <laughs> then, I say you probably have different upcomings, up, upcomings, upbringings, upbringings, upbringings <laughs> in some senses. Yeah, we did have different upbringings. Yeah. So we have somebody who didn't enjoy it, someone who is right in the middle of enjoying it and indifferent to it, I would say. Let's hear from Robbie. The thing about it, like I said, is I think I liked the kind of message that did, because it was the very first to do that, to actually look at... um. A narr- like narrators that are giving their accounts of a situation and giving a falsehood about it. And it's something that made me think about that, about how it's something that hasn't really changed in a way. And like maybe, like you said, there are people who have done it better, in your opinion. There's some people who... I wouldn't even say, like, I disagree with you. Like, there are some movies who have done the same thing of, like, uh, a non-linear narrative like this and probably did a better job. But a lot of people still look at this and see this as, like, the... I guess the golden standard of a nom- of an account of a tale that's told like this, like because are uh, because this movie, those other are mo- uh, those other narratives, whether it's in a short story or in a movie or in a TV show, exist. And also with some of the cinematography that are that's in it, like you like I said, getting those uh, light flares from going directly into the sun or using a mirror to like get a get a certain lighting effect for in the shadows. And stuff like that. Like, it created those effects. And, like I said, it was his very first film, too, that he made. And he made it based off of a, a short story. And, like I said, it is a rather short story that he made. But I think just the idealism behind it is what I liked about it. Like, it is a movie of its time. So it does have that 50s, as he would put it, charm, as you would say, downfall. But I think I'm more forgiving of that, which is why I like it. I just try to look at the overall message that it, it was saying throughout it. And that's why I liked it, even though it is ridiculous at times, because that's what it is. It's someone trying to make themselves seem favorable in an unfavorable situation, and it just comes off ridiculous because they're trying to lie their way through a situation. And I think I liked kind of the way that they portrayed that, even if it was an era of its time. I think that's what makes it more forgiving for some of the weird things. Like the way that they, I'll give you, like the way that they laugh at everything is weird in that movie. I think that's kind of Japanese mentality in a lot of things maybe even but, nowadays in a lot of anime you see that kind of stuff yeah but it is something you did say are uh, towards the beginning of the movie too is you kind of like how 
insane he betrays himself. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, in the or towards the beginning when the bandit is giving his story with it, and that's the reason why is because that's the way that he's trying to portray himself to uh, these people. And like, I also have to disagree whenever you said that you feel like you're put in the priest's uh, point of view of this because like the way that they actually did the or that they filmed it is whenever they're giving their detailed accounts to the police, like they're more or less staring into the camera, like as if they're giving, they're trying to sell you the story. They're not trying to sell it to the priest or to the woodcutter or anyone else. They're trying to sell it to the person they're giving the interview to is kind of like, so in a sense, like you're the police in this story and they're trying to sell the story to you. I could see that. It just feels like at the gates, there's almost basically evil, which is the guy that comes up and he's eating the... Um, it's a it's a fucking onion. There's no way it's not an onion that he's eating. <laughs> and then the priest, and then you have the guy in the middle who's not sure what's good or evil. So you have like a spectrum. And so I don't know. It feels like from time. It feels like you're either, depending on whose story is being told, you're put in one yeah. of their shoes. It feels like to me. Yeah. I I guess for me, it didn't feel like there was some greater sense of evil to it, or greater sense of good, or greater sense of evil. It was just saying, in a sense, that people are shit sometimes. But sometimes, like, the ending of that movie is them trying to say that even though people can be shit sometimes, that sometimes they can be virtuous, too. Sometimes they can do good, even if it's not directly beneficial to them. But it also kind of puts that question in your mind is, like, is he actually being virtuous in all of this, too? Because it's in that or they're in that sense of trying times of whether or not they can actually trust anything anyone says anymore after all this. And I would like to agree with you. I would, because it sounds good, and it sounds like that's what this movie should be, Yeah, but it ultimately just didn't feel like that for me. Yeah. But that's, the, I guess, me and you are on opposite spectrums of that, is just that, that's how I feel, and that's, you feel very much the opposite of that. Yeah, it just, we got very different things out of the movie. We did. We very much did. <laughs> Dang, it's like this is a movie about a bunch of different perspectives <laughs> on the same thing. Shut up, he! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're recasting this movie. Each of us is one of the people. I mean, to mine's be fair, just yeah. an entire cartoon in the middle. God damn it! We inadvertently did what this movie wanted. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, inadvertently, we are this movie now because we, damn all three of us have a different opinion on what we just are watching the same exact thing unfold. Oh, we should have got a fourth person so we can <laughs> so it can be complete. We need a woodcutter. I actually don't know what if other any of you are wood- you can have on this movie yeah. though. I guess complete indifferent. We need Rocky. He would yeah. have been completely indifferent. He wouldn't have cared about this movie at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess if anything, we should probably just give our final scores for the movie. Yeah, I guess so. So I'll go with E since you all say right. you're in the middle with this. Yeah. So as an in the middle score, I am going to give this a six despite enjoying it quite a bit. I think it is. Uh, it, it shows its age. And I don't. That's not necessarily a huge negative in my opinion. Like. I think if this was a movie made nowadays and good, uh, I probably still wouldn't give it too high a score because, like, this just isn't entirely my kind of movie. Like, I enjoy this for parts you probably aren't supposed to enjoy this. I enjoy this because of, like, childlike ideas of what a sword fight should be and <laughs> that's mostly... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just yeah I, I, one thing I will fault, the baby thing comes out of nowhere and is pretty contrived. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think the only reason that they put the baby in there at the end of it was to basically just not leave it on a sense of total gloom of you can't trust anybody out there at the end. They wanted to have some sense of maybe there is some hope for humanity. Yeah. Maybe you can't trust most people, yeah. but maybe you can trust some. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there could have been a better way. Again, so but it, like that's a... Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was his way of just being not completely pessimistic about it at least. 
So I think I like that idea of like not having completely pessimistic at the end because people don't like feeling bad after a movie. Right. But I feel like they could have found the baby pretty early on then instead of literally having it be the last scene where they find a baby. I think that they hinted at it like maybe during the rain you can hear weird like baby noises. Yeah. Yeah. But like everyone's like, what the? Whatever. I think it would have been also easy to say like, well, we can forget about what we're talking about with this story. We have a baby to take care of now. Yeah, but it was raining pretty hard still. Yeah. Like, it's not a huge detriment, in my opinion, either, that it did this, because it is more like, that's one of the things I can forgive for being, like, at the time, they probably didn't know a good way to wrap up this story. Right. Right. Because, like, if this was made nowadays, they probably would have been completely fine with actually just ending the story right there after they tell, and the guy's just sitting there after being like, yeah, I did steal a knife. I'm basically as bad as the murderers. Well, I was, gonna, <laughs> no, I was actually going to say, like, uh, the original story, Into the Grove, it actually ends with the story of the medium, uh, of the man who was murdered telling a story through the medium. That's where it ends. Oh, really? Yeah. So the woodcutter story and what happens to the baby was added by the director for basically, in a sense, to add length to the movie and to not make it completely pessimistic. I do kind of like the woodcutter story, though. I think it is a good twist on. I think it kind of, yeah, it, it, it adds it adds another layer to the story that I think is needed. It does have some of the issue with, like, something I don't like in these kinds of, uh, what, the unreliable narrator? Yeah, the narrator. unreliable narrator. Um, they often, and maybe it's because I watch a lot of, like, media geared towards children, but they often do the last one is the correct one, and everyone else was bubkiss, and, like... I don't like when they do that because I think it kind of takes away from the idea of uh, multiple narrators. I, however you want to phrase it. Multiple points of view. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it kind of takes away from that. I don't think this movie entirely does that, but I think it somewhat does that by having him be completely a bystander. Yeah. He, like, even in his own story, he's not involved in the thing at all. He He literally just comes in. He doesn't show up, really. He comes in and steals a dagger. That's basically all he does. But all this said, I still enjoyed this movie a bit. Probably not going to be the highest movie. I'm not. This probably won't be in my top five movies we've watched or anything like that. But I don't regret my time, and it's probably going to be above a lot of the. It might be above movies I give in a higher rating, just because I did enjoy it more than some of the others. Guess that uh, leaves it to me on that part. Um, sure. <laughs> ultimately, I just didn't enjoy the movie. I don't hate the movie, but it's having it be an, a product of its time hurts it a lot for me just because I just think that era of cinema was pretty lame for the most part and there's very very few things from that era that hold up well at all and that's not this movie's fault it's that era entirely it's everything having to be nice in some way fuck and you not- 50s <laughs> yeah kind of actually <laughs> yeah. the 50s was awful all around um like I don't know so like there is stuff in this movie that I appreciate and the things that they invented for this movie I I can't take that away from them. They did that. That's awesome. That's super cool. But I think there are better examples of the unreliable narrator that are more intriguing to me and bring up better that bring up the same question, but just do it in a way that I care about more, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's just not ultimately, it's just not a movie for me in any way. And I can't get past the era that it was made in. It's just so, so glaringly a 50s movie. Or a forties movie, or like that era of movie mm-hmm. that I just can't, I can't get past some of that stuff. So I give it a five. It's middle of the roll road. You give it a fifties out of a hundred. Fifties out of a hundred. <laughs> it's just, 
they did some great stuff, but ultimately, like, it's just... Ultimately, ultimately for you, it's a 70-year-old movie. It's There's no impact in this movie at all for me. I just don't feel anything going out of it. And when I watch some sort of media, I want to just feel something. And I just... it's it's not It didn't waste my time, I'll say that. But I'm... So it's above I, cartoons for you. <laughs> there's some very good It's cartoons. above the deer hunter for him, is what he's saying. It is above the deer hunter for me. I might um, say that too, honestly. But, like, yeah. Just because of the fact that it did so much for its time and did innovate so much, I give it a five. If it didn't innovate at all, it would be a much lower score. But I gotta give it props where props are due. Uh, ultimately, I I will never watch this movie again, but I do think people should at least stream it and see it for themselves. Five for me. Well, for me, I did enjoy the movie. I think I'm more forgiving over the fact that it is a product of its time. Like, I think it's something that I keep in mind whenever I watch something, whether it's the culture around that time or whether it's just the time period that it's filmed in. So, like, they're limited to certain things. And so, like, there's only so much you can do with 1950s technology. And I feel like with what they had in gen- or what they had in general, because I guess one fun fact I didn't say is... uh. That gate that they're standing at was actually completely built for for the film. Nice. And uh, that took up a lot of the budget for the movie. Yeah. I imagine. It was really yeah. big. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, apparently it was actually so big that part of the roof was collapsing on it. And so they just kind of left it that way because it was supposed to look like it was in ruins anyways. Yeah, at that point, I imagine set designers just like, uh, I guess nobody just walk under that. Yeah. Uh, we're good. <laughs> kind but of, yeah. It was the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, 50s. <laughs> But, like, it is a product of its time, and I feel like I'm more forgiving whenever I'm watching something, or a product of its time. It's kind of the same thing with what I've said in previous podcasts of, like, Robert Heinlein novels. Like, whenever I read those and I realized, like, these are these are written in the 40s and 50s, so they are products of their time. And so I have to just kind of forgive it for some of the things that it, weird things that it does that may not be okay now, but was okay back then. Whether it's, like, you know, like I said, that sense of honor and or that they had and how, like, it brought out the worst in the wife. For it and automatically just made her seem like a bad guy to in all the stories or whether it was some of the still cinematography that was just very common back in the 1950s like I'm I guess I'm more forgiving of that and I just looked more at what they were trying to make of the film with the whole unreliable narrative and the whole how egotism could be the biggest downfall for what could possibly be like even solving a, a murder or uh, a murder slash rape case and, but the fact that what they felt would make themselves seem better completely ruined that for the whole thing and like how i don't know like that movie the ideas behind the movie stuck with me for a while and because of that i think that's why i give it as high praise as i do uh, on top of the fact that you know it was the uh, it started a whole bunch of trends that you'd still see in cinematography today so i guess for me that like but that also being said though too like i do kind of see the second time viewing this movie i do see some of the ridiculousness behind it so i would say i'd still say i'd give it a nine though like i did still enjoy this movie okay Okay. Hate the player, not the game? <clears throat> or is it the other no, way around? Hate the game, not the player? No, it's hate the player, not the game. No, it's hate the game, not the player. I'm pretty... I'm look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's um, hate it might the be, player, hate... not the game. No, you are right. It is hate the player, not yeah, the game. Yeah, because, like, that's, that's like in basketball, you don't hate basketball because Kobe Bryant can shoot threes on you all day. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's not the term I want to use then? Yeah. So I don't hate the Robbie and I, I dislike the movie. Hate the game, not the Robbie. <laughs> Coining the term. Hate the game, not the player. <laughs> uh, no, I like your other one. Hate the game, not the Robbie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's just yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that will mostly do it. 
other thoughts uh watch seven samurai if you haven't let me know yeah, if that's like, as good as i, I remember it <laughs> i mean pretty much all of his films are on hbo max and like i probably will start looking at that because i feel like whether it was like you know having storytelling that is more interesting just to like watch for its face value or maybe even like they're they get more in depth with like the plots they're trying to say for it like i feel like he probably got better at or at his craft as he went along i would hope so most directors do, or yeah. they go the completely opposite direction. Yeah, there are some directors, like, <laughs> the first movie they make is great, and then everything else sucks after that. Yeah. Like, it, I think it goes with that with a whole lot of other things. It goes with that with some, you know, people who do painting and art, some people who do music, some people who do photography or whatever else, but... Yeah. But uh, that will do it for us. If you want to follow us on social media, we are The Last Ones In on Twitter... Uh, the last ones in podcast on Facebook, or is it just? I think it's the last ones in podcast. Yeah, are we on other stuff? Nope. All right. <laughs> uh, if you want to shoot us an email, let us know your thoughts. Give us suggestions for other movies. Write a seventy-page essay on why Gerard should have liked this movie because he is a cinema snob, and it's by law you have to. You can do that at the last ones in podcast at gmail dot com. Once again, that is. The last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you are all staying safe. It is, of course, a crazy world out there nowadays. As we always say at the end of each podcast, if you're going to protest, please be safe about it and make sure that you get test are tested for then. But if you're not out there protesting, stay alone, stay alive, be safe out there in this crazy world that we're living in right now. And have a good week. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Pasta. Later. Just you're taking my opinion very personally, sir. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not attacking your taste. I'm attacking this movie. Yes, you are. That reminds me. It was, it was the night before last night. I was woken up like around the midnight hours. And I don't know if, like, I started, like, lucid dreaming or what, but, like, I was woken up by what sounded like thunder, but when I look out the window, it was, like, a, just, like, a ball of lightning, and I feel like I must have been so tired I was imagining stuff. That's weird. Yeah, so, like, it scared the fuck out of me, so I ran out, and then I looked out the kitchen window, and I saw another one going off, so I was like, is this fireworks? Is this flashbangs? What is happening? I don't think that's how flashbangs work, so no, it probably no, wasn't flashbangs. No. <laughs> but like, I was like, are fireworks going off? But it was raining so heavily, so it had to be lightning. So I think I was just half asleep, and it was fucking terrifying. <laughs> that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, like, it was so... Just imagine just looking out your window and seeing that, though. It was terrifying. That's like an alien. That if you were an alien believer, e like that would be aliens right there. <laughs> yeah, and when I tell the story, yeah, it was like two a.m. <laughs> I barely was awake, but it was definitely aliens. That's every alien story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, there. Good podcast. <laughs>